podcast this week, the only actor whose name is also a method of murder, Guy Pierce, drops by to talk about his new Netflix show, The Innocents. All that unusual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast had finally won at HQ and is out of here. I am quitting. Fuck you guys. I want £8.13 and I am off to live at large on the Costa del Sol. I have to point out, you use an extra life so it doesn't count. It absolutely counts. It's in my account. It counts. Wow. Hello, so Paul. you're going to become a professional HQ player. I am a professional HQ player. Right. Here's my plan. Here's my plan. Uh, do you know about HQ? For anyone who doesn't know about HQ... By the way, I should introduce myself very, very quickly before we do this. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. We have our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hey, James Dyer is also here, which is nice, I guess. <laughs> and we are joined, very rarely we are joined by someone who is an actual filmmaker and knows what he's talking about. And <laughs> well. <laughs> well, we'll find out over the next hour or so. Uh, and we're delighted to be joined for the duration of the pod by the co-creator of The Inbetweeners, the director of the festival, which is in cinemas right now. Yep. Still. Ian Morris. Still. It's still in cinemas. Still in cinemas. Come on, guys. <laughs> Come on, let's keep it there. Let's keep it there. It opened on Friday. Yep. It's still in cinemas. Yep. We're doing well. Doing well. <laughs> good. How are you? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm a little bit sweaty, but I'm very delighted to be here. I mean, it's a huge honour to be on the Empire Podcast. I thank you very much for having me. To be clear, the sweat is due yeah. to actually working out and not, you know. No, it's nerves. This is solid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very nervous. <laughs> Just one of those things. Ian, I, do, I feel a bit like I'm doing a sort of tribute to Airplane at the moment. <laughs> that sort of, as I'm landing. <laughs> so well, that'll get worse. But the good thing to do is uh, it's a very rainy day right now. It is. So yeah. it could be rain. Could be rain. It's not rain. <laughs> it's just pure sweat. Pure sweat, but yeah, so apologies. And also, hello. Uh, hello, indeed. Uh, I'm also sweating, but you can see it, uh, which, is, which well, is a good thing. Can you? No. Okay. Uh, do you know what HQ is? Do you know what HQ is? No, I'm going to guess it's a trivia app. That's correct. It is a trivia app. Uh, every day, uh, there is a, a, a live quiz beamed around the world, and various hosts come on. They ask people 12 questions, and you can ans- you know, you answer these questions. If you make it to the final answer and you get it right... You can split a thousand quid. Now, usually that means like you know, usually like two hundred people win. But yesterday, like only three hundred people won. So I got a share of a thousand quid, eight pounds thirteen. Not bad. Very excited. We there was a, they did a themed film one on one thirty night, and everyone at Empire went out on the same question. I, I didn't play that. One. You didn't play because you were in a screening of the Equalizer two. Was I? <laughs> yes, because oh. I went to the early screening and I got out in time, and you didn't. Oh, that's right. But, uh, the thing is... And what was the question? It was a question about time-out ranking of films. So it was like, which uh, film did not appear in time? I'm like, that's not a film question, that's a time-out question. Uh, and Phil isn't here, so I can't answer <laughs> it. And I was very unhappy about the whole thing. It, so, it kind, of, kind of is a film question. It's, it's, it's a time-out question. So was it, like, number one, though? Was it, like, which film was the number one? No, the there, in fact, there were two. There was, there was one about which of the following films has a positive Rotten Tomatoes rating. And I was okay. like, I don't know. <laughs> and it wasn't okay. Black Mass, apparently. Uh, or it no. was Black Mass. Anyway. But well done. Christian. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay. Super, super well done. Yeah. You should be doing your Beric at this point. I don't think I should be doing my Beric no. at this point. Uh, I think that uh, Ian... Is it is too Ian. niche? Well, Ian is our guest in the podcast. Well, I have no we idea. We don't think Ian needs about. to be exposed to your I, impression of Beric from HQ. I'm not sure that I. Hello, HQers! <laughs> Hello, Q1 and Christian Sauvage! No, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. He reads Empire, though, so I think he'd probably enjoy it. Yeah, he is would. Is he a bot? <laughs> 
he, he, could, so he feels there's this guy so they rotate the hosts sure, uh, but sure. our favourite host is a guy called Berwick Livingstone who was actually Beric giving them Livingstone. Beric Livingstone I mean he's a bot <laughs> yeah. that's like a full on I don't know anyone who's um, encountered this person in real yeah. life that's like a bot it's like, if you it's, know. It's, like, it's like going could you give me a stereotypical attempt at name from England and Scotland I'll do yep I'll do Berwick Livingstone fine <laughs> I presume. Maybe we should ask, has anyone out there met him in real life? you remember, wouldn't you? You would. You <laughs> it, encountered yeah. him in a jungle. I don't think I've no. ever met a Beric. No. No. Beric, Beric Dondarrion. I've been the Lightning it. Lord. I've been through it on a train. <laughs> you don't yeah. watch Game of Thrones, do you, Ian? I do watch Game of Thrones. So clearly you're not into the niche, nitty-gritty nerdery Which of it. Which one is he, though? Uh, Beric Dondarrion, the undead oh, Lightning God. Lord, who oh, was uh, raised by uh, Thoros of Mir, the Red Priest. For, it doesn't matter. No, I don't. Is he he in the TV show? Funnily enough, he has an incredible knowledge of uh, Westerosi trivia. That's uh, that's true. Okay, that's wow. So I uh, I love Game of Thrones. Uh, Beric is a, an incredible man slash bot slash construct <laughs> slash virtual construct and uh, he he sound, his, his voice is incredible because he goes cockney one second then posh the next like yeah. a bot trying to get the grid <laughs> yeah. like, like a sort of language learning <laughs> machine that's trying to work out what language exactly sounds like. like maybe it's this maybe it's this I figured out his voice is part Frank Spencer <laughs> part David Frost <laughs> and there's no yeah. way it's a living human being. How would you get through? And so who would give that person a job? Who would be like, well, we found the perfect presenter. Uh, he sounds a bit like Frank... Uh, he's called Barry Livingstone. He's a bit like Frank Spencer. <laughs> and they have a thing on the HQ. So if loads of people go out of a question, they call it a savage question. And a big yeah. graphic comes up on screen and goes, savage question. Yeah. And Beric, uh, being yes. a construct, <laughs> yes. has changed that to, in question sauvage. In question sauvage. In question sauvage. Again, I mean, because... Oh, it's just... It's a bot, isn't it? It's a bot. Also, I like it. Well, he's not got much in his CV so far, but uh, he'll be perfect for this, I think. Is he? Have you met him? Well, not met him, no, but he was very good on Skype. I was there when he was born. Yeah, exactly, yeah. He was, uh, he's currently living in Silicon Valley. He will kill us all. I very much enjoyed when his teleprompter broke at one point and he was forced to just wing it for about a good 30 seconds. His oh, no, it was, it was three a glitch minutes. in the Matrix. It, it was, was three, three minutes. minutes. It was excruciating. Absolutely it's, excruciating. It's baffling. Is it? Is it what? So is it like a, it's a timed quiz every day? Yeah, so it's yeah. live. So you get a notification on your phone. It's HQ time, and right. everyone logs in. A few hundred thousand people. Right, right, right. And then you get knocked that's out. My, I mean, pretty much that is my favourite thing in the world is pub quizzes. Like, there was a solid period of my life where two or three times a week I was doing a pub quiz with some friends of mine, same friends normally, and it was really like it was you know a big part of my life. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's addictive. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Beric was basically talking a lot and buying time desperately, and that's not what I'm doing oh, yeah. whatsoever. Can you, can you do a slight impression of him buying time? That'd be quite. Um, I'm enjoying. Uh, so um, time is created. It was back the back the beginning of of the of of in the back bang the big bang. There was a big bang. There was nothing. Nothing happened, and then there was time. 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 Time is time. Time is a great thing, isn't it? We all we all love time. It ne- never stops. Never stops for anybody. Um, oh. trying, trying to find this week's question. Oh, <laughs> Okay. It's not going well. Hang on a second. So it was a question about... I'll find the uh, the person who sent in the question uh, imminently. But it was a question asking what we think the sexiest moment is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to date. Uh, the question comes from Alex Boer. The question comes from Helen L. O'Hara. <laughs> hey! Uh, and in fairness, it wasn't a question, but I liked it so much. Uh, so she tweeted into Helen going, just listen to the Ant-Man and the Wasp spoiler special, and I will be championing... 
a spin-off podcast exploring the sexiest moment in the MCU. <laughs> the definitive answer, of course, is vision in a sweater. Now, we don't have... <laughs> like, that is pretty sexy. A 70 yeah. sweater. We don't have time to do a spin-off, but I thought we could we could talk knock this around for a good four hours if we, if you have time to do that. Ian, are you a, a big MCU fan? Are you a big Marvel fan? Uh, no, I'm not. But I have get I, out. <laughs> well, I've had two very close friends actually involved in two of the films, and so I have seen those two films. So I can at least I can, I can have a punt. <laughs> what, what, what two films have you seen? I've seen Thor Ragnarok and Iron Man Three. Those are good films. Yeah, very good. Yeah, one of those is a very sexy film. Yes, Ragnarok and yeah. pretty sexy, right? So I'm going to go for Chris Hemsworth when he has his top off. <laughs> that's my favourite sexy bit. I mean, that's, that's a good guess. Isn't yeah, it? it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It is, however, the wrong answer. Yeah, oh, wrong. The correct oh. answer is when Captain America splits a log with his hands. That is yes. incorrect, also. Oh no! The correct I'm answer shivering just thinking about it. Is when Captain America told off Donald Trump for not reading. <laughs> <laughs> just this week on Twitter. My God, I'm still recovering. Uh, but. Uh, uh, That's not not technically part of the MCU. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not non-canon. I feel like it is. It's no. non-canon. I feel like it's pretty canon. What about Kate Blanchett in Ragnarok Ooh, when yes. she first That's turns pretty out? Sexy. Pretty sexy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's 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 pretty awesome in that film. I love it when she goes sort of full Cockney, you know, when she's... Uh, cause her <laughs> like acting, Beric. Yeah, it's just like Beric, depending <laughs> on who she's talking to, her whole demeanour changes. Hello, like, Asgardians! Q1! <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, come in. <laughs> You've killed me, I can't do it now. Uh, no, very, yeah, well, Kate Blanchett in anything, really, isn't it? I love the fact also that Lord of the Rings was like 20 years ago and she basically hasn't aged because she's an elf. Mm. She's immortal. Yeah. Well, one day she'll diminish and go into the West. Mm, yes, to the Undying Lands. not this day. <laughs> I'm mixing quotes, I'm sorry. It's fine, um, it's fine. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I, I I would. I mean, it is it is a Captain America moment, though, isn't it? It's is it? it's it's Stephen Peggy in the car before he even gets big. But it has to be. I beg your pardon. Be, that's true. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you, so many poorly chosen words in that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> in what I mean, way does he get big? Sorry. No, no. Before that, before okay. he goes in and, and gets super. All right. Okay. So not not the bit where, as James is talking about, where Steve Rogers right? grabs his wood and <laughs> rips it. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> Steve Rogers who? <laughs> I'm sorry, I've just missed the, the end of that. Oh, yeah, that's it. Uh, the bit with the two of them in the car where, uh, you know, the bit when he's... Yeah. Talking about dancing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's not about dancing. She bit. is close to jumping on him right then. And that's... he's not even Chris Evans yet. He's a little fella. Yeah. All right, okay. Honestly, I don't think we get a lot. You know, like mm-hmm. there's there's Kate Blanchett as, as Hela, but... You know, I'm sorry, you think about the there sex- are so many butt you shots of about- Black Widow. You That's cannot not, tell me you don't I'm not a butt guy. I'm an asshole, but I'm not a butt guy. <laughs> I think that I would have to go for... Oh, I don't know. Cap holding the helicopter. I mean, that's that's pretty uh, that's good, moment, pretty isn't it? That's pretty yeah. good. You, you've seen that, and you should check it out. Captain yeah. America: Civil War. There's a moment where Steve Rogers uh, grabs. Uh, there's a helicopter, and he's trying to stop the helicopter getting away, and he grabs onto it, and his his biceps are glistening. Right. I'm doing this motion right now, know, which yeah. is really. Really weird. I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, biceps are. <laughs> you've just been they to the gym. You must have biceps. Well, no, I haven't, sadly. <laughs> Do you have any seps? What I've got is a sort of uh, nascent alcoholism. So the gym is like trying to keep me at a sort of plateau. Just trying to plateau that one out. <laughs> Don't get, don't get buff, but yeah. hopefully don't get too disgustingly dead in a ditch. Because you, you're, you're a writer, you're not meant to go to the gym. No, but I did. I, I got into I got into martial arts years ago, and it really helped my writing because I wasn't quite so angry the whole time. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is much better. <laughs> so since then, I've tried to sort of uh, exercise a bit just to keep myself sane. I think it does yeah. help with that. I think it does. Yeah, it does. Helen's a serial marathon runner. Are yeah. you really? Mm. Good grief! Very That's slowly, a... obviously. No, but yeah. I mean, you run a marathon; it's still pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. I used to I used to be impressed by marathon runners, and now I am one, so I'm not anymore. Right. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Because yeah. I can't, All I do is start and not stop until yes, I finish. But I think that's sort of anything, isn't it? Really, <laughs> anything is a chick achievement. <laughs> yeah. I started it. Lots of people couldn't do it. I didn't stop at it. I did it. That's, like, that's, that's what an achievement is, yeah, isn't it? I suppose. It's also and pretty much how you run a marathon, isn't it? Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, it is. As it turns out, yeah. that's what I've learned. Yeah, you need you need kind of grit to get you through the first half, and then all it takes is bloody mindedness. After that, you're like, well, and I'm not going home without a medal now. I was about to say it's the promise of the medal, Helen. It's really it's, nothing I mean, else. You, you do not run without a medal. That's mm. that's just that's amazing. That's rule one. Yeah. I've no, I can't even do like a mile on the running machine. I've got very bad knees. Mm. It's also really boring. So it's boring. Not. It's so mm. good. Do you find you need team sports to keep? I used to play. Yeah, I used to, a lot to, I used to play a lot of football when I was younger. Okay. Um, and then it got it got too violent, so I took up kickboxing, and that <laughs> is the truth. I was like, "This son, there's too many fights in this Sunday league football. I think I'll, you know, I'll do kickboxing." Oh, you played Sunday league? I played Saturday and Sunday league. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it was pretty rough. So seeing people being sparked out and all that sort of stuff. Just like it got to a point. I was like, oh. God, I can't go another fight. That's another <laughs> also, just like the energy going into it from people who weren't that good at football. I was like, good grief. <laughs> it's exhausting. I was the sidelines and the sort of things they'd shout. You'd be like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm a QPR supporter, so I've heard some really, <laughs> a lot of bad stuff being shouted. But, um, yeah, no, yeah so I, literally, I literally gave up and took up kickboxing, which I found less violent on a regular basis. Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. <laughs> That's good. So, um, so I would recommend a couple of uh, MCU films for you if, you, okay. if you've got some spare time on the flight home uh, yeah. this week. Because you now live in LA. I do. My wife's American. Yeah. Yes, okay. I've been here for mm, six months. Okay. All right. So, uh, go, yeah, of course, jet setting. It is, I suppose. Ooh, yeah. Racking up those air miles. It is racking up, destroying the old planet. Take that planet. <laughs> 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 I've got to make a comedy. Kick, kick your kickbox in the planet. Oh, kickbox in the planet. <laughs> Smack it in the face. Right. Take that. Another one down. <laughs> What's that, Greenland? Every time I fly over Greenland, I'm like, oh no, that's another iceberg going. <laughs> it's me again. Oops. Whoopsie. Is it true you punched a hole in the ozone layer? Is that, I is might that as well true? be. The amount of times I've been flying backwards and forwards. It's, uh, I mean, it's, I'm not proud of it, but it's, you know, it gets to get through a lot of films. <laughs> I mean, there's no real alternative. You can't. No, walk. exactly. The boat, I suppose, but even a boat's probably probably a bit, take a bit long. One does not simply walk it's, into America. It's yeah. a long way, LA. It's like a long way away. It's like much further than I sort of <laughs> clocked. I think when I met my wife out there, I was <laughs> yeah. like, I'll just go back and forth just to be fine. Yeah, just hop around the M25. Yeah, cross, <laughs> cross the Atlantic. It's fine. So far away, <laughs> it turns out. So you have been here. Uh, oh, I should I should yeah. tell people how to get in touch with us on podcast first before I, I start talking to you. Uh, we're professionals, Ian. You're in good hands here. So if you want to <laughs> have your if you want to have your question uh, treated with the respect it deserves, as indeed, oh, what's her name, uh, Alex Burr, <laughs> found to her cost. Uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Empire magazine use the hashtag emperor podcast or chances are we won't see it or just no no alex did or just tweet helen and i'll see it as well i don't know why i would see i, I don't stalk your tweets uh-huh. i got <laughs> I, I got blocked this week on twitter well maybe not this week but i've been <laughs> blocked on twitter by ken jong i i heard that i'm really? so sorry for yeah. your loss i guess yeah. i feel i feel pretty bad about that but, I just, you know, I mean, what did you do? It's fair. I don't. I don't think I did anything. Well, I've never. Okay. I've never directly interacted with him. I wrote. I uh, went back and I checked in my review of Transformers Three that I said I wrote that he does his tired, tired old shtick, and oh, yeah. and I may have said on the podcast once or twice that that movie improves when he's thrown out of a window, but. Mm. Yeah. I still don't see how that that you know Some brings me to my door. Are so sensitive, so, sensitive. <laughs> so weird, so weird. I think probably. I mean, I don't understand the block button. Then. I'm a, I'm a big muter. Yeah. Oh, really? Mute. Mute. See you later, mate. Yeah. But do you forget? Sometimes you maybe mute someone just because they're tweeting a lot, uh, but you actually quite like them. And then do you forget about that? Uh, or do you I, go back and re Well, do you know what? Them? You've just reminded me, I did actually. The one I did was I. This is going to sound. Can I even say it? It sounds <laughs> so bad. Yeah, go on then. 
I actually uh, I muted Neville Southall because oh I was like, oh, God, all right, mate. We get it. <laughs> we get it. There's stuff happening in the world. All right, give us a break. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it does sound quite bad, I imagine, but that was, I was yeah. just like, oh, good grief. Every night it's handed over to some yeah. people who need my attention. And I'm like, yeah. I'm trying to read about Queen's Park Rangers. <laughs> Neville Southall is a goalkeeper. James, former goalkeeper. Right, of, and this um, is from the popular sport football. It's the popular yeah. sport football. He's a great goalkeeper. Uh, I loved him. Brilliant yeah. goalkeeper. Uh, yeah, played and for Everton, or my bet noir. But, um, Queen's Park Rangers, that's a class in Dungeons and Dragons, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's correct. correct. Yes, like correct. a half-elf range. Yeah, that is correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. So yeah. there you go. So you can tweet us, Empire Magazine, use the hashtag uh, Empire Podcast, or chances are we won't see it. We're on Facebook as well as Empire Magazine. And you can email us also at podcast at empireonline.com. Right. It's time to interview Ian Morris. Oh, crikey, okay. Grill you. Yep. Mercilessly grill you. Because you've been going back and forth the last six months trying to finish uh, the festival, which I believe you have. I've seen I, it. I, <laughs> I, 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 do you know, it's funny. This morning I was thinking about this because it's been a weird old few weeks. And I, was, I think I genuinely finished it two and a half weeks ago. <laughs> Wow, really? It was like I remember the Thursday three weeks ago because I've been back to LA since we had the premiere last last week. I think it was, and the week before that I was in LA, and the week before that I was pulling my hair out, going insane, and things weren't right with the sound, and it was all sort of falling apart. So that's quite. It's been a weird, and just because I feel very different. Like once it's finished, it's out there. So there's not much I can do about it. Whereas at that point it was a very, very, very stressful point in my life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, three weeks ago I think under three weeks ago I finished it. Yeah, now oh, it's right. in cinemas. So, so yeah. what was that experience like? You know, cause was, there, was there a point where you thought, oh, Christ, this is... I'm not going to make this date. This is... This yeah. is they're going to show a half-finished film, or...? Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was lots make, of points like that, yeah. Grab it away from me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, we, have, it's, we have a brilliant post-production supervisor and producer who does, called Louise Seymour, does lots of British films and stuff, like Death of Style and things like that. And she's very, very good at making you make the film. And also what she's pretty good at putting in dates that she knows you're not going to hit but making them sound like they are dates you've definitely got to hit and you really believe that date sounds a lot like our production editor yeah so it's, that, so it's like um, so this was the Thursday when I watched it back and I was like oh, this isn't this is some, some issues here with the sound and stuff and again it's all decisions I've made I've just made the wrong decisions mm. and it, we were supposed to be watching it back just to go tick fine film's done but actually, we managed to get people to come back and work the next day until like three in the morning and oh, then wow. work over the weekend oh, and then watch goodness. it back on a Saturday afternoon and stuff. So, yeah, so it's again, it's having a really nice team of people that are willing to, you know, put up your foibles. But yeah, yeah. it's pretty. Um, I'm just actually, I'm just getting like a sort of bit of PTSD, like sort of a flashback. <laughs> things. I'm like, oh, I've been quite enjoying myself the past couple of weeks instead of going back to or going back to it. But yeah, no, I was genuinely worried because it's been, it's been a, you know, we shot it last summer, so it's been a, living with the film for a long time. Mm. And then it still seems like a rush at the end, and you're like, oh, God, that's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I had plenty of time to do this. <laughs> um, is, is that inevitable, though? Like, work for, expands to fill the time available? Yeah, I that? think if you're disorganised, <laughs> like, I, or you can't really make a decision. And again, I think that's one of the hard things about comedy, particularly, is that you're looking at jokes and you're thinking, is that funny? I think it used to be funny. I've seen it a hundred times. I'm not quite sure how funny it is anymore. Mm. I think it's funny. And you're like, oh, would it be funny if that happened? Or did I do... And then in one of the cuts, like five cuts back, I put that line in, which I've now taken out. Should I put that line back in again? So it's kind of like you're constantly driving yourself mad, or what mm. I am, constantly driving myself mad, with, with, uh, with that, really. How much of comedy do you find works on set and how much of it can you construct in the editing room? Like, where's the balance of finding the funny? I think it's... I, again, I'm, I've always said this, and I'm not quite sure about it, but I think it's right, is that for me it feels like it's three distinct things. You get a, you get a script, and we do so many drafts of the scripts, and I worked so much on this script as well, that you, 
you know, you try and make it the funniest thing you possibly do. And you do mm. a read through with the actors, like maybe a week before you start shooting or rehearsals, and it's like, this is the funny, oh my God, that's perfect. That is as funny as it can get. And you get to rehearsals and you might tweak some lines, like, this is as funny as you can get. Then you get to shoot it, and then normally what happens is you get performances. I like I like a bit of rehearsal time, so you sort of know what you're going to get. But often things start falling apart around you, and you're like, "Oh, wait a minute, <laughs> what is happening here?" And it's kind of like, "Okay, just drive through this, just just drive through this bit, this sort of eight weeks of your life, try and get it all down." <laughs> and then you get to the end and go, "Right, okay, well that's not what we had in the script, but maybe we can make something out of this." And so it's always been sort of like. You know, three distinct things. It was very much the same. Even the first series, the in-betweeners, was like what we had, what we'd written down, what we shot, and then what we got. And it was, and so having that experience, I guess, makes me think I don't panic too much on set about it. And I like people playing around mm. it, particularly this film. Actually, it was much more improv and stuff on this film. But yeah, it's like it's it's sort of like three distinct processes, and then and then the edit becomes really the only one that matters because no one you don't really get marks for trying particularly in film. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you tend, people, people tend to be quite focused on the end result. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, I know, it's really annoying, so I'm like, guys, you know how difficult it was to shoot a festival? It's like, oh, massive lazy. Well, this the scale and the budget was really low, like, no, no one, no one cares. Are we laughing or not? When you're, when you're directing a comedy as well, uh, is ADR your friend? Can you can yeah, you call people up and go... For sure. Jermaine Clement, for example, you go, I need you to say something now, and we'll, we'll, we'll drop it in on a shot where we don't see your face. Yeah, there's lots of ADR. And again, actually, in the in-between is there's voiceover, and we used to write that when we were editing, even on the TV series. So we'd just be like... And actually, I mean, it was quite bad because Caroline Leddy, who I was executive producer, was very demanding about the jokes and she's brilliant and, you know, and works in lots of comedies like Derry Girls at the moment and Brass Eye and stuff. And, and so I've, in the last... You know, when trying to write that voiceover, I'd be sort of lying on the ground crying... <laughs> I can't write any more sarcastic comments from Will. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it. Don't make me do it. You know, and I, I literally used to do things like, uh, I don't really read a lot of poetry, surprisingly, but I'd start read po- reading poetry. I'd be like, well, I'm going to start reading poetry and I'm going to go to the theatre. Two things I never do. Because like, my brain has to try and, I have to try and come up with something else to come in my brain to write this voiceover, you know. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's why they're so poetic. <laughs> They're all in iambic pentameter. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, they're all like. Is that where is that where the uh, the the turd down the uh, the water flume joke came from? From the <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. yeah. No, that was that was we, that's we, Milton, we, I believe. We planned that. That was actually that took four days to shoot. <laughs> four days of my life. <laughs> and uh, yes, I am proud of it. But it was also. But actually, I think the interesting thing about that was. So we had these four days to shoot it in this water park in Australia. It was so complicated, and also it's so, it's so time consuming because you had to be like, put the camera in this angle. Shoot the slide, shoot the bottom of the slide, shoot Will, shoot Will coming out of the slide, shoot Will with the shit on his face, shoot Will without the shit on his face, shoot the Will with the puke rig. And it was, an, it was and honestly, it was like a, the production meeting with me, Damon, the first AD and the DOP, Ben Wheeler, took six hours to plan where they're going to go, right? And it, and it was we shot, that was one day one, right? And I remember going to bed and just thinking, it wasn't that funny. We didn't really get that today. Like those camera positions oh, right. aren't the right place. They're not in the right place. And we had this whole thing planned for the next day, and it was so important. And then I'd been to see, just before we went to Australia, I'd been to see Nosferatu at the BFI. <laughs> and I was like, it's the humanity of the monster. It's the humanity of the monster. <laughs> and I came in the next morning, and I was like, it's like we started shooting at 4.30 in the morning. I was like, it's the humanity of the monster. It's the humanity. We've got to, th- let's tear this, tear this shot list up. We've got to get in the pool with Will. We've got to be in his face. We've got to be running around like this. And everyone was like, well, we're not going to get to shot. I was like, I don't care. It's the humanity of the monster. <laughs> And then, and, then, and, then, and then literally we couldn't get back to the location we'd been at the day before and I was like, right, I'm going to go and shoot it on my iPhone. And the cameraman was like, I think I can probably get there with a the camera. <laughs> and, and it's like, actually in that shot, it's like me and the first AD running across camera and then running across camera again as, as, to, get, to get the close-up because we didn't have time to get the sporting yeah. artists over there. We weren't supposed to be shooting there. It was like nine and we'll say... 
Yeah, you're kind of like, sometimes you are sort of, whoop, okay, off we go. <laughs> yes, yeah, inspired by Nosferatu, not poetry. <laughs> you heard it here first. There you go. <laughs> so in, in this movie, you, you, you team up again with uh, Joe Thomas. Yeah. But this isn't, uh, I think people were going, is this in, uh, in between a spin-off? But yeah. it is not. It's a different character, different thing. Yeah. But uh, you also explored the humanity of the monster in this film with, <laughs> yes. with Joe Thomas because I went into this film going, I don't think I've ever seen Joe Thomas's naked arse. Yeah, and that is cured now. I've seen it many, many times. Yeah. Did you know that was your comedy secret weapon? And and uh, was he okay with we've with got, bearing all? We've got a bit of a joke, me and Joe. I say joke. I say I've got a joke, and Joe repeats it, which is that we. <laughs> I've now seen basically on screen. We've now managed to show everything apart from his actual helmet <laughs> and his right testicle. Yeah, yeah. The but left it, one got an airing. I remember that. Yeah, the lefty, lefty's been out, but um, all lefty, but. Uh, we that was a pretty good scene to shoot. Doctor well. Kenneth Noisewater, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he basically, um, yeah, he was, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Joe in it. Certainly, there's actually one shot. We did a big screening, and, and there was one close up when he gets the tattoo, mm-hmm. and uh, we were like, I've got to take that out. <laughs> we haven't seen that in the big screen. I was like, that is too. Even I was like, that is too much of Joe's bum. <laughs> and uh, it was funny because Joe had never met Nick Frost before, and there's the scene where Joe's bum's yeah. out, and yeah, Nick and Claudia there. And it was Joe's like, oh, like my comedy hero is behind me, just staring. And then Claudia at one point said, Joe said, oh, I just I can feel the breath on my sphincter now. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and Claudia said, I think I can see your lungs. <laughs> <laughs> so it's gone. And, and Hamid, who plays Nick's best friend, uh, Joe's best friend in the film, was a huge fan of the in-betweeners, and him and his brothers went to see it at the cinema and stuff. And I could see that that was the day the kind of scales fell from his eyes. Because <laughs> yeah, like the first week, I could see him thinking... Here's my hero. Oh my god! I can't believe I'm making a film with Joe Thomas. Here's the third hour starting with me staring right up his brown eye. So uh, yeah, it was pretty. But yes, it wasn't really. I mean, you know, he, I, I, let's think of Joe as a muse, if you like. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's like my Greta Gerwig. <laughs> in it's, some ways, it is extraordinary. I, I was I was taken by the use of shadow in that scene. Yeah, I'm we, grateful for it. Yeah, no, there had to be a bit of. We did a bit of uh, touch up on that. <laughs> it was a bad one. It was a bad one for the for the uh, digital colorist. Yeah, Rob. I was like, no, I think we probably need to knock that down a bit, don't we, Rob? He was like, I'll just, let me just zoom in. I was like, whoa, <laughs> wait, okay, here we are. So oh. there are there are victims sometimes in filmmaking. Indeed, thoughts and prayers. Indeed. <laughs> Uh, you, you mentioned that you, you shot this at a festival. Uh, many yeah. festivals, or just one festival, or two festivals. Two so we festivals. shot um, we shot at Leeds Festival. Leeds very kindly gave us permission to shoot, and we shot some big crowd scenes there. Uh, and we shot at Bestival for a few days uh, before it was open and when it was open as well. Mm-hmm. And then we built a kind of set uh, just near, not far from Glastonbury, south of Bristol, but near Chew Lake, so Chew Magna Lake, I think it's called, about half an hour south of Bristol, because I wanted to get that sense that you get when you're Glastonbury where the horizon is kind of hills so you're always looking so basically the idea is that all this, even the single shots are kind of there's a green line round it making you feel like you're in a big bowl like Glastonbury but actually again it was one of those weird things where we're like we're going to build a set and then we're like oh good the, you know because like, the shooting of the festival was really really difficult and yeah. really horrible because it's almost the exact opposite of a film set which is it's incredibly noisy and nobody knows where they're going and what they're doing whereas a film set is silent and everyone pretty, pretty much knows what they're doing yeah. and so when we were back at the set we are like oh it's great we're back at the set we're in the set but actually a festival set is just simply a field <laughs> and last summer was quite rainy and it after and, you know, and Glastonbury gets muddy after five days it's, we were there for seven weeks oh my I mean God. it was an absolute nightmare um, yeah, and you'd be like, oh, don't worry, we're filming the set today. And that just means we're outside. And then we had this storm and half the tents blew away. And 
Yeah, it was mixed, mixed summer for me last year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, up and down. I mean, there are moments in this film that just make me think, I've never been to a festival. And oh. I just think, what Nick experiences, especially in the first half of the movie, there's an awakening. I don't want to spoil anything, but he, there's yeah. an awakening for him as the movie goes on. But yeah. the, the first half of that film is exactly what I would be like at a festival. I would be miserable. Yeah. I'd be the wallflower. I'd be in the, in the you know, standing there while everyone's having fun going, I just want to go home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that was the idea, really. I kind of wanted it to be like... There's not, you know, you, you know, it's not all fun and games at festivals. It can be quite boring. And particularly if you're not that sort of person, I, and I wasn't, and now I'm sort of a bit converted to festivals. Okay, okay. From the, going to quite a few for research purposes, it was good. Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah, it got me. <laughs> I just re- Do you know what? I've never owned a pair of wellies before, but I mean, after the age of like five, and I've suddenly got obsessed with my hunter wellies. I was like, these are, well, I should become a farmer. They're really good. They're like, so comfortable. So good. Oh I went God. to Glastonbury a couple of years ago, oh, yeah. though, and it rained, obviously. Yeah. And, and I was like, hey, wellies are amazing. They're absolutely amazing, aren't they? I was on set of Predator and it was absolutely freezing and they lent me a pair from the props department and yeah. I tried very hard to steal them yeah. and the unit publicists came and found me just before my flight and asked for them back. That's good. I was really upset. They were interlined and everything. Oh. They're just like... Because it was, I wore them for the premiere because the idea of the premiere was like festival chic and um, everyone was like, that's funny, you're wearing your wears. I was like, yes, it's funny. Ha ha. I'm not wearing them because they're insanely comfortable. No, it's funny, isn't it? Ha 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 ha. The wellies I'm wearing. But yeah, so basically get a pair of wellies, you love a festival. Yeah. Uh, what have you got against Crowded House? I love Crowded House. Okay. I love them. I genuinely love yeah. them. Like, I was, I, I, I mean, I can, I was so obsessed with Crowded House that I applied successfully to be an exchange student when I was 15 and went to Australia because I thought that was closer to New Zealand so I had more of a chance <laughs> of seeing Crowded House. I was in the Crowded House fan cover from like 13 to 15. So there's a weird thing about that, the sort of joke in the film where Jermaine's singing Crowded House was like, I know I picked this music, but I don't know what the joke is. <laughs> I think she's watching it going, both these songs are really good. <laughs> yeah. What's funny about this? And everyone's yeah. like, oh, so I love that bit. I'm like, I don't know what the joke is. <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I think I've done it as a joke. The joke I don't, is... I don't think it's funny. The joke is Jermaine Clement singing Crowded House. That's, that's, that's it. Then, that, and then it works. Yeah. So it's, it's all good. Yeah. But I was just... I was, you know, because Robin is in the film, he's yeah. not... He's a well-meaning guy, yeah. but he's a figure he's of fun cool, in the film. Yeah. He's not cool. And so by definition and by yes. extension... Therefore, Crowded House, yeah. one of the greatest bands of all time. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Also not cool. Do you want to hear my... I've got a Crowded House story. It's quite a bit name-dropper. Do you want to hear it? Do it. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So I was... I, I must have been doing the publicity for the second in between this film. I was passing, passing through Auckland for like three or four days. And I've got quite a lot of Kiwi friends from the Concords and stuff like that. And a friend of mine, Madeline Sami, who just made a very good film called The Breaker Uppers, which I would recommend to everybody. It's really funny. Uh... She said, she knows I'm a huge Crowded House fan. She said, well, me and her and her wife were staying with um, Neil Finn and Sharon Finn. And they said, why don't you come visit? I said, I can't, because I'm such a big fan. It's going to look super weird. <laughs> and I'll just be totally weird, like I was when I met Simon Le Bon. I can't do it. <laughs> and she was like, okay, cool. And then she disappeared, and she came back and went, oh, I've called them. They're expecting us in 20 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, okay. <laughs> All right, but play it cool, Morris. Play it cool. <laughs> so, I sweating, went, sweating went, already. I was really. Sorry. I went round to uh, Neil Finn and Sharon Finn's house, and it was. He opened a bottle of red wine, gave me a tour. Was like there was like there was some of the original artwork from some of the albums on the walls and stuff, and oh, from wow. the Finn brothers. And I was like, this is the greatest day of my. This is absolutely amazing. And my friend Carthy, who I was with, was like, well, we've got to go and see what we do in the shadows. We're going to go and see the. I was like, I've oh. seen it. He's like, no, we said we'd go, and I was like, oh god. So we had to leave. I was like, ah, oh. and Neil Finn was, couldn't have been more lovely and brilliant and everything you'd ever want when you yeah. meet someone here is. Anyway, the next day, um, Brett McKenzie was flying in 
to Auckland and we were going to spend a day together. And he flew and he said, ah, oh, got a bit of a special treat for you. And I said, what is he? I phoned uh, Neil Finn and said, he can't say, oh, that's, nah, that's going to be super weird, isn't it? So, it's just like, oh, well, me again. So, I was like, come on, what have you done? He went, oh, yeah, I thought you'd like to go and meet Neil Finn, so I phoned him up. So, I was like, nah, nah, no, we can't get it, can't do that. This just reinforces my notion that everybody in New Zealand knows each oh, other. Yeah, they pretty much do. Yeah, yeah. They do. And they just have Neil Finn's number yeah. on speed dial. Yeah. It was pretty good, though. I was like, oh, that's, uh, can I? I was tempted to go back, but instead we went, some oh. vineyard somewhere. I mean, oh. We're Sam Neill's vineyard. We're Sam Neill's vineyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam Neill. Like, <laughs> he was just hanging out there yeah. with Peter Jackson. Yeah, I've got to come back tomorrow. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my, that's my Crown House story. Oh, wow. Um, I waited outside the BBC once to speak to Neil Finn after he was on an episode of Later with Jules Holland. Oh, yeah. But I'm just awful at meeting my heroes. Yeah. I, film heroes, fine. Uh, but football heroes and music heroes, I just go yeah. to pieces. And my small talk is bad at the best of times, but right. when you're faced with someone that you genuinely revere, it's just, <laughs> I, I don't know. I come across as some sort of psychotic stalker. I'm, I, I should have killed him just to follow through on it, because I'm sure he thought I was a, just a nut job. Yeah, he probably would have preferred to be killed by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He would have gone, well, this is play now how I expect yeah, it to be. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. There's a, there's yeah. A I trust of, my instincts. Yeah, yes. right. there's, mm. there's a feeling of slight relief here as I'm being stabbed. I, did, uh, I was at a party once where Simon Le Bon was and I was, I'm a huge Duran Duran fan. I was so excited to see Simon Le Bon and I got more and more drunk. My wife's like, just go and say hello and you like his music and then come away. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. Anyway, so I, walked over, I walked over to Simon Le Bon. I basically stood next to him, like shoulder to shoulder, not even facing him. I went... Hello. He went, hello. I went, favourite Duran Duran song? (laughs) (laughs) And he went, Ordinary World. And I went, number two. And he went, the chauffeur. And I said, thank you, goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) My wife was just, I mean, my wife, again, it's like I was married, so it wasn't that long ago. My wife was just shaking her head. Jesus Christ. That is extraordinary. And thank you also, because I'm a big fan of natural segues, Ian, and... um, Simon Le Bon, of course, once sang a Bond theme oh. tune. The best one. Boom. No, it's Look not. At that no, it's not. Yes, no, it it's, is. It's not. It's not. Die it another is. day, clearly. No, come on. <laughs> I love Chris Cornell's. I love Chris Cornell's. It's good. I like Chris Cornell's it's as well. Great. It's Goldfinger, isn't it? Is like... Goldfinger, is it not Goldfinger? No. Look, at Ian's, look at Ian's face. Oh, he's not, he's not, he's not, not he's having not any other entertaining no this at all. I know the answer. The answer is Beauty Kill. That's which, it, and we're done. Which yeah. brings us neatly onto the news God. this week. Look at that. Look how I did that. That uh, Danny Boyle. This is pretty much the only news we'll be discussing. I think <laughs> that Danny Boyle has left Bond Twenty Five. <gasps> yes. The seat is vacant. There's a director's chair with a name yet to be stitched on it. In Morris. Well, I'll throw my hat in the ring if that's what you're asking. <laughs> that's what I'm asking. <laughs> it would be an absolutely amazing decision from him. I think. <laughs> I mean, I you have to sort of know your place slightly. Yeah. But no, I'd do it. Yeah, sure. I mean, the truth is, before Christmas, when I was doing a lot of editing for this film. You know, it's hard to watch things sometimes. You're like, oh, God, I don't want to be too influenced by things, but also you don't want to, you know, you'll get too stressed by what you're doing, what other people are doing and stuff. So I was watching three or four times each, and this does sound a bit like an Alan Partridge driving to (laughs) Aberdeen eating Toblerone, but uh, I watched every Roger Moore Bond. They were about the only things I could take on board. I was like, oh, you're watching, you know, Breaking Bad and stuff like that. I was like, no, I'm watching uh, Moonraker again. So I, if it was, I was doing it, I would bring that style right back. That's my, that's my Bond era. That's where they should go. It's just, it's so, I found the one that was the biggest, six most successful film of all time. This is why I'm not getting the job. So boring. I was like, oh God, he's sad Bond. Is, and his mum's got killed. He's got one gun. <laughs> crying in a house in Scotland. I was like, Jesus, wept. 
<laughs> I was like, I, 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 me and my friends literally watched. We went to see that, and then we watched Future Kill straight after. It's like a palate cleanser. Yeah, <laughs> we're back. Yeah, we're back. Christopher Walken chewing the scenery. Did you, I would love, by the way, I would love to do it, and I'd put him in flares, and I'd have a NASA scientist called Holly Goodhead who introduces herself with the words, "Hello, I'm Doctor Holly. I'm Doctor Holly Goodhead from NASA." The Space Agency. Just absolutely <laughs> in case James Bond didn't know who NASA were. Uh, well, Doctor- it's not it's not nuclear physicist Dr. Christmas Jones, yeah, but no. I guess yeah, it's yeah. pretty no. good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a good one in uh, View to Kill where some beautiful woman introduces himself to the stables and he says, I, she says, I'm, and it's just like a name, it's not even that good a name, it's like, a, it's not like, not like Pussy Galore, and it's like, I'm, I'm Elizabeth Bennett, and he goes, "Of course you are, my dear." I'm like, that doesn't work. There's nothing. Yes, yeah, she is. There's no innuendo there no at, all. at all. I'm. Uh, of course you are, my dear. I mean, who's going to be then? I don't know. If not, we... if not me, then who? If not Ian Morris, who has well, put himself right at the top of the list, number one on the list. But yeah. who's number two? I mean, look, they're not. I think you know the fanboys are all getting excited because, like Christopher Nolan, for example, hasn't announced his next film. That's not <laughs> going, to going to happen. To it's not going to happen. They just had a big name director, yeah. a sort of t- you know name above the title director, and creative differences reared their head. They're not going to risk that happening again. It's not going to be. It's fine. It's all going to be fine. It I, as ever, am very interested to see what Ron Howard is going to do with the film. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to be fine. I even think he's too big a name for them. You think? I think. They did Mendes. They Me- did. Wow, that's a strange way to pronounce his name. <laughs> Mendes. 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 I, Mendes. I, I yeah. don't know. I think the, the, you know, the bookie's favourite at the moment is Jan de Mange. Jan de Mange. So yes. I feel like that's a more realistic probability. There is a feeling that Eon Productions, who are in charge of the, the Bond crown jewels, uh, <laughs> like to have directors who are pliable. Mm. So the second unit is tasked with the big action sequences and whatnot, and then the, the, for the director comes in and goes, okay, now raise your eyebrow. 37 <laughs> degrees. Thank you very much. But I don't know. This, this, honestly, I'm not surprised that Danny Boyle has, has walked. I How don't think I? he's a, uh, a natural fit for blockbusters. He's tried in this arena before uh, with what became Alien Resurrection, and that didn't really work out for him. And since then, he just ploughed his own furrow, and I think he's too idiosyncratic as a filmmaker to really you know, play in this sort of sandpit. So it didn't come as a huge surprise. I would have liked to see what he was going to do with it. Mm. Uh, I think there's a natural tendency online to presume that that means they're just going to do the same old, same old, that Purvis and Wade may rear their heads again as writers. Who knows? I don't know necessarily that they're going to do that. My feeling in this is that Daniel Craig knows how disappointed people were by Spectre and he wants to go out on a high, an all-time high. Yeah. <laughs> and if that means getting in Morris, the director's chair, and Duran Duran to do the song again... <laughs> so be it. So That's be it. That's what's going to take. Uh, but lots of people are you know, obviously throwing Chris Nolan's hat in the ring and Chris McQuarrie's hat in the ring. I think Chris, Chris McQuarrie's just made the best Bond film in well, years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, in Mission Impossible Fallout. I look forward to a 10-hour podcast about Bond, but <laughs> I don't think that he would do it. He'll sign on tomorrow now. <laughs> I mean, as a podcast comes out, Chris McQuarrie to direct Bond Twenty Five. But I, I, I don't know. A lot of people throwing Catherine Bigelow's hat into the ring as well. I'm, I, I, I'd there's a lot of wish fulfillment. I think yeah. a lot of people would like to see a Catherine Bigelow Bond. Um, I think it'd be interesting because I think she's really good at deconstructing masculinity in that way and I think mm. and she's a great action director but mm-hmm. again I think she's busy doing her own thing I don't think she has any wish to do a big studio movie right now 
Mm. Um, so I'd be amazed. I, I think it's going to be somebody who has made some well-received smaller films, I don't know, like the festival, and then just, <laughs> you know, just go from there. Oh, I'd love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Oh, that'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? What if they said you can direct Bond, but it's going to be a 20-week shoot in a field? <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. I'd do it properly. I'd like, like a pretty easy apple. I was sitting on a box, literally a box for seven weeks, and they got a bit weird about that. They're like, oh, he wants his box again. I was like, I'm sitting on a fucking box. I'm not even asking for a chair. Oh, here's your box. They, they all signed it and gave it to me as a gift. And then they're like, here's your box. I'm like, you're sitting on a box. A box. <laughs> it wasn't a throne. It wasn't like a director's chair. A box <laughs> in a muddy field, covered in mud. Did it have your name on it? it eventually it did. So, like, oh, where's this box? Because like, well, someone left it out in the rain last night. It's absolutely soaking wet. Freezing cold box. I've been sitting there. Like, oh, wants his box dry, does he? <laughs> well, it's, it's this kind of it's diva behaviour that really qualifies you for this job. I wasn't you like, am I being a bit much? I just some dry box to sit for ten hours. Is this weird? Am I being a bit much? I know it's a low budget film, but come on, guys, <laughs> box. No, there's a good bit. There's a good bit. They're like, we're going to. They said we're going to make you a box because you've been borrowing the box off the grips department. So we're going to make your own box. I was like, okay, thank you. And, uh, and then they came back and they went. I said, have you made they make that box? So I don't want to, you know, borrow in the Crips box. And they said, we've made it, but there's a bit of a mistake, actually. We made it um, four feet by four feet, <laughs> like, like a coffin. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we made you a coffin. So I was like, okay, this is, everything is so weird. I just want something to sit on. <laughs> a chair, maybe? No. And eventually I got my own box with my name on it. <laughs> Amazing. Where is that box now? It's, in, it's literally in my house because I had to take it for the reshoots and everything. I was like, I'm not going to lose the box. I fought so hard for a box to sit on. So, yeah, so would I do uh, Bond? Yeah, I'd probably do Bond, I thought. Yeah. Would I uh, probably step, that step up yeah. to a high, slightly higher budget. Might be. I did a lot of research recently for this film that I didn't get about um, Russ Meyer. And there was a big thing about when he did his uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls film. And quite a lot of it, the theory of it, was that he was just like, he was constantly lugging gear the whole time. And it was like, he was making so much money from these films because films his films would run for like two or three years in the cinemas. And they were so low budget, you know, like Faster Pussycat, Kill, Kill and stuff. And, he, and then they were like, why do you go and do a studio picture? Why do you do a studio picture? And, and he, in one interview, he literally said, I'm really bored of carrying cameras around. <laughs> <laughs> Just really want to do something where somebody else carries the camera. Yeah, I want a, a box bit. with a cushion. Yeah, exactly, with a cushion, yeah. <laughs> One of those boxes with cushions on it, but that has legs. What do you call them? Chairs. That's it. <laughs> That's it. One, 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 one. It was quite funny because they said to me, they stay one. Like, We've got your chair. I was like, Oh, great. It's happening. It's like, Rick, Rick. I said, Okay, well, I can't use that because it's going to be quiet the whole time. I have to be quiet with a chair. I said, Okay, we'll get rid of it. <laughs> Gone. Nothing, nothing, nothing for the rest of the week. Box. <laughs> it was about me. Yeah. That is filmmaking for you. That it's is very it. glamorous. Thank you for pulling back the curtain. <laughs> I know, yeah. Oh, no, little, there's no curtain. It's these little yeah. things. <laughs> we can't yeah, there's no like, yeah, curtains. Couple of curtain. no, no, no curtains on this, <laughs> on this film. Would, uh, would Joe Thomas be your Bond baddie? Jay's a really good actor, I think, and uh, I would cast him in pretty much anything. So, yeah, we, I'd, I'd cast him as my Bond baddie. I'd probably cast Buckley as a Bond baddie. <laughs> I think James Buckley would be a good Bond <laughs> But he did, he did want to play Bond himself, so maybe I'd just cast him as Bond. And uh, we used to have oh, a joke. That would be interesting, yeah. Yeah, we used to have a very unfair joke for James Buckley, which is that he didn't. He wasn't great at remembering his lines. And when he told us he wanted to be Bond, the running joke was basically be like, "The name's Bond, was it?" <laughs> <laughs> God, can we, I've got these sides, James Bond. <laughs> He'll kill me for that, but I love him. I look forward to that. Uh, we got one last. Genuinely, there's no other news this week. I've been just been. <laughs> 
trolling through a, a movie website, obviously not barnline.com, <laughs> to find the, find the news. And there's pretty much nothing, apart from the fact that uh, Demi Lindelof's Watchmen has been given a green light at HBO, yeah. which is exciting. And John Hamm and Ed Harris are on uh, in the new Top Gun film. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's yeah. good for them. Well Although in our story on the website, we refer to Tom Cruise as, as uh, Peter Mitchell Maverick. That's no. very formal. It's very formal. Actually, I never knew who's called that. He's definitely Pete, Pete to Maverick me. Mitchell. He's Pete. Yeah. yeah, but it's Peter. Peter in our new story. Peter Mar. Who wrote that? No, oh, I, I assume, I assume it was the, James White. You're the site editor. You're supposed to this. If he doesn't feel comfortable referring to Maverick as Pete, then who am I to tell him he needs to be informal? You're the site editor. I, I just mean, told yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> Peter, Peter Mitchell. It's not Peter like Mitchell. I'm his boss. Commander Peter Mitchell. I thought the I thought the Watchman actually is. If you're going to do a thing of what's the least sexy scene... Because <laughs> I, I was I'm such a huge Watchmen fan, I was at the IMAX for the day, the least sexy scene in any DC Universe film. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the opposite of what you were talking about earlier. I'd yeah. say the hallelujah sex oh, scene in yes. the thing is pretty yeah. bad. It was like a lot of people in that cinema going, the chair's going again, <laughs> people hiding a bit like, well, this is pretty eggy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd say that's, that's probably fair. Although I like that film. I love, I love it, I, I love it, yeah. But Absolutely that's, that's a perhaps misjudged moment. But um, yeah. But hey ho. Uh, any other bits of movie news before we move on? Um, no. Le- Lena Dunham and Maya Hawke joining Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, that's yeah. You know, that's um, the thing that's happened. Lego is releasing a Cloud City set. There you go. That's, oh, that's cool. That's that's cool. That's Wait, how are you going to balance that? <laughs> it's hard to say. There's a small picture, but it seems to be a close-up of the carbon freezing chamber. Oh, okay. Mm. Oh, that's exciting. All right, so that's probably it for movie ooh, news. Ooh, oh, and they're wait. making a Crazy Rich Asian sequel. Yes, Having read the yeah, second book, I think this could be a lot of fun. Crazier, okay. richer Asian. Which did, um, uh, did very no, well the box office. No, it's called... Um, I've forgotten, but it's a very good... It's, it's fun. Oh, 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 oh. So Rob Thomas said Veronica Mars is coming back, which is very exciting. No? Right. You're never not a marshmallow. I've never seen it. Sorry, not a, no, not a marshmallow. Marshmallow? Yes, that's what, that's, that's what, that's what they're called. Uh, yeah, yeah, big fan of her. I didn't Mars. come here to be insulted. <laughs> <laughs> You're no marshmallow. Get out, sir. Um, yeah. Oh, and and oh. there was there were some good trailers this week, so I do recommend, if you haven't seen it already, uh-huh. the trailer for Slice, which is, of course, a pizza vampire werewolf Hellgate movie. Uh, <laughs> we've all seen those before. And Jeremy Saulnier's new film, I uh, did not Hold want to see dark. the trailer for that. Do not see the trailer no. for that. It, I haven't no. slept since. No. It's scary. I want to see the film. Uh, Jeremy Saulnier, director of Blue Ruin and Green Room. Uh, I, I think he's an incredible director, and I know this movie's going to be gruesome and grisly, and I don't want anything to be given away. I'm taking a leaf out of Emma Thrower's uh, old book and not watching the trailer for that one. And there's also a trailer for oh, Outlaw King, uh, which is the um, Robert the Bruce Rob Roy, Robert the Bruce yes. film with uh, Chris Pine. Let's go for that. Which seemed to go over rather well. And his Scottish accent sided okay to me. Some and, spots and you are obviously the best judge of this. So, well, I'm Celt. not that. I'm, Celtic. I mean, people fine. mistake my accent for Scottish. Yeah. So, pretty really? much, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's happened to me as well. Uh, uh, Norwegian. You do sound quite Norwegian. I do sound quite Norwegian, <laughs> especially when you're doing Beric. Hello, it's Gus. Right, uh, it is time now for this week's guest. Very, very <laughs> exciting. Here. The other week, the other oh, guest. Right. Oh. Ian is part of the team. Oh, no. Oh. Ian is part of the team. Are you relieved we haven't asked you about uh, whether Inbetweeners is coming back? Because I'm oh, sure you get that a lot. I is Inbetweeners coming that's, back? That's normally number one. Um, I don't know, really. Probably not. I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, not tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the thing people ask me, like, is Inbetweeners ever coming back? I'm like, I don't know. Can't tell the future. But I mean, we, we all get on really well. We all like yeah. working together. 
me and David haven't got an idea. I mentioned this actually. I was interviewed on Talksport, and I said, "Well, you know, the only thing is we haven't really got any ideas." Ha 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 ha! And then I had like I think four hundred people tweet me the word stag do. I was like, "Yes, we've thought about a stag do." <laughs> the point is, you have to have more than just the word stag do. And you have to have those, those bit more. We put a bit more into it than that. But thanks so much. You know so about box the, and everything. The in betweeners. Yes. Call on. Yeah. The humanity of the monster. <laughs> well, I've done that. You see, he killed that last time. That is true. That killed is true. it. The turd's revenge. The turd's revenge. But then again, the turd got revenge last time. Anyway, anyway. Sorry, Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Uh, so he has a new Netflix show out. It's called The Innocence. It is out today, Friday, the twenty fourth of August. It's a supernatural love story, and he plays a mysterious scientist at the heart of this shape shifting drama. We love Guy Pierce. He's amazing. He was in L.A. Confidential, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, Neighbours, and Home and Away. <gasps> Didn't ask him about the that, double. but I spoke to him in London this week and we had quite a serious conversation, actually, so we might need a bit of a tonal reset after well, this nonsense. Last time he was on this podcast, he was talking about jailbreaks in space, so it makes a nice change. Oh, was he now? Yeah. Okay, this was actually quite serious and about identity and accents and uh, all that sort of stuff. I was completely lost, <laughs> to be honest, and so here I am trying desperately to hang on to Guy Pierce's coattails. Do please <laughs> enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Netflix's The Innocence, Guy Pierce. How are you, sir? Very good. Good, good, good. Unjet-lagged. Unjet-lagged, yes, that's right. That must be a wonderful feeling. Well, since having a baby, I actually, I think I've spent probably every day for the past two years feeling jet-lagged. <laughs> You're just sort of, you know, dealing with a lack of sleep, but although... My little boy sleeps better now than he did when he was three months old. Oh, that's good. So you're out the other side. A little bit. You're into unjet-lagged-ville. That's right. Excellent. Yeah. That's good to hear. When The Innocence lands on your desk, do you, what's your first reaction? Do you think, is this a remake of that classic British horror film, or are you, are you intrigued? Right? No, I wasn't aware of the classic British horror film. You should so, check it out. It's really good. Uh, um, so, no, to me it was just a, yeah, an, an original idea that... Uh, Took my fancy as soon as I read it, and I had a great chat with Farron Blackburn, our director, who mm-hmm. who sort of impressed upon me the idea that you know this was to be treated as a very real condition. These uh, these women who are afflicted by this genetic malfunction, where mm. they essentially, I suppose, as a, as a kind of a survival technique, shift into the person that they're close to. At, at any given moment, depending on what their trigger might be, whether it's stress yeah. or a horrific situation, or whether it's love for another another character, you know. So, so it's a it's a condition that these women are, have no control over. Obviously, highly unusual. You know, we don't really see this happen in life, but <laughs> Farron, uh, or do we? Or do we? That's <laughs> yeah. right. Who are you? Uh, but Farron, our director, as I say, wanted to make it very clear that the. That the style of the show and the uh, the tone of it was was to not necessarily sit in science fiction uh, world, mm. you know that it that it that it should sit in the realm of reality. That this is should be treated like a, a feasible medical condition. Mm-hmm. So you know, after having a great chat with him, I was definitely on board. I mean, I was interested in on board anyway, but mm. uh, it wasn't like he had to convince me of anything. So <laughs> uh, yeah, just very well written and. Really interesting character that I get to play. So. Indeed, I mean, we'll get onto it in a second. But but people binge watch Netflix shows. People do, but I don't think Netflix like the term binge. They don't. When, okay. we, when we did the promotion for this in the states, uh, we were we were strictly sort of instructed beforehand not to talk about binge watching. <laughs> so, but now I've made an issue out of it. So. Well, what's the uh, what's the terminology I that don't they know, recommend? Actually. I'm not sure. Marathon watch. I guess so. Yeah, just. 
Yeah. Elongated entertainment. Um, what, what exactly? I don't is? know. You'd have to ask them. I'll get on the Netflix a call. I'll get on them right away. I'll get on to Ted Sarandos right away. Uh, but do you binge read the script? I presume you get all eight episodes at the same time. Of course. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm a real slow reader, so uh, <laughs> it might have um, it might have taken me more than just eight, eight hours to read the whole thing. And of course, at the time. My little boy was quite young, so finding eight hours <laughs> you were uh, in jet lagged Phil free free yeah free eight hours is impossible with a with a small baby in fact, how old was he when uh, I think this was the beginning of last year, so I guess he was you know six or eight months old, something like that okay. So I was probably stealing an hour or two here, there, and everywhere, but managed to cobble together enough to uh, to to know that I wanted to do it. Did the character grab you right away? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was I was it? I was a little mystified in the same way that we, as an audience, probably will be mystified by him when we watch the show because yeah. primarily we're we're following this young couple of Harry and June um, escaping their lives and running off together. Um, as as is the want of of young uh, lovers, <laughs> um, and so we obviously keep cutting back to this unusual uh, solitary um, environment on on an island in remote Norway, where mm. we see this doctor and his his partner, this Norwegian woman uh, called Runa, and and another couple of women there who are also uh, afflicted with this condition and we get the sense that this doctor is sort of um, not experimenting with them but he's but he's but he's trying to uh, analyze them and understand what's going on for them and trying to un- understand how to help them etc so we sort of keep going back to them occasionally uh, amongst the, the the scenes between young Harry and young June so mm-hmm. you you know it is mysterious uh, the, this world on this island uh, where where this um, a mythical place called Sanctum exists. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't say mythical; that makes it sound like Game of Thrones. <laughs> so, so I was, you know, I was intrigued to sort of keep reading and find out where that all leads. And obviously, yeah. we we learn that the character of Elena, who's on the island with us, there is the mother of June. Yeah. Um, and so, there's a real connection and a real sort of desire to get June out to the island to try and help her as well. So, so yeah, I was very intrigued by my character of Doctor Halverson. <laughs> And the uh, the interesting thing about him is, I mean, people will be watching this now. This interview is out the same day as the show was out, so mm-hmm. people may have already elongated, entertainmented the uh, the show in its entirety. Who knows? Uh, but just in case, we won't we won't go into spoilers. But let's just say that there it, there there is a is he or isn't he about your character in terms of his intentions and his, whether his intentions are good or his intentions are bad. I wonder what that's like for you as an actor going into uh, you're reading a whole bunch of scripts and. Obviously, you have to play scenes before certain revelations with the knowledge of your character and his intentions in your mind. So, how do you how do you go about it? Is it is it something that you have in your head the whole time? Well, essentially, I mean, I'm I'm always looking at it from the inside rather than from the outside. Okay. You know, so obviously, we always when whenever we do these publicity things and we talk about and we promote a show, it's always from the point of view of the viewer. It's always from the point of view of of analysing it from the outside, mm-hmm. whereas Everything that I do is from the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is about the the motivation of this character, the drive of this character, what the makeup is of that character. Obviously, I'm aware that it's going to be seen in a particular order or mm-hmm. that it's going to be um, perhaps perceived in a particular way early on and do we want to give so much away. But any of that sort of stuff to me is answered by the truth of the character and by the 
uh, the, the the sort of complexity and, and the understanding that I have of that character. Um, if things feel amiss or they feel awry or you feel like you're conveniently leaving something out in order to just have some sort of um, surprise element later or some kind of twist, then I've got to... I've got to address that, you know. I, I I can't do things that just feel sort of convenient for the sake of the yeah, viewer, of you yeah. know. So yeah. so it's always about finding a good balance, I think, um, and and just getting to the heart of it. And if you know, and I think uh, you know, not necessarily just talking about this character, but any character who we're mystified by, you know, maybe there is no answer as to whether they're good or bad at this particular point in the story. Maybe it is just that they that they get in too deep, they get in over their head, they mm-hmm. they start to behave in ways that we all might, you know. I mean, I'm sure if you asked every person in prison whether they're a bad person or not, they would all say that wasn't my intention to end up Mm -hmm. in prison or my intention to kind of commit this elaborate crime. I just tried to put out this little spot fire by doing this and that caused this other spot fire and I had to try and put that out, which meant that I had to rob Peter to pay Paul, etc. and things just got out of hand, you know. So so I I understand and I appreciate the question of whether a character is a sort of a good guy or a bad guy, whether we're mystified by him, etc. But for me... Obviously, as I say, I'm working from the inside, and I'm going. What's his drive? He's some for, for this character, particularly for for, for Halverson in in The Innocence. You know, he's he's very curious about this condition. He's 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 altruistic. He wants to help these women, but he also has an ego. He wants to he wants to make a bit of a name for himself. He wants to be the one to discover this, and he wants to do it in such a way where he's not having to deal with the authorities sort of too early on. But he probably should actually be working with a team of people rather than <laughs> rather than doing this all on his own. You know, so so it leads to great drama, and it leads yeah. to sort of an unusual sort of situation. And you know, it was interesting. And when you when you played a whole bunch of characters in your career, uh, I guess. Do you look do do uh, thematic preoccupations now and again come up naturally, or is this something that that you look for? For example, I look at this character, I see elements of this character in Aldrich Killian in Iron Man Three. He's a much less flashy version of that. But you're asking, you, you said there, he's someone who's looking for. He has an ego, but he's also looking for answers. He's looking for the truth, but he wants to be known for this great discovery. Mm. And Peter Wayland, of course, in mm-hmm. Prometheus and and uh, Alien Covenant as well. Well, I'm not looking for it. I mean, and and to be honest, if I if I could, I would I would make every character that I play be completely different from any other character that I've played. But that's just not possible. You know, <laughs> um, there's just not enough out there. Well, there is enough out there, but there's you know you've you've got to be at the top of the A list to be able to choose absolutely everything you do and yeah. and even if you do find things that have similarities there's really dif- big differences in tone and of style course. and how mm-hmm. things are written and where a character's from etc so you know so for me also from the outs- from the inside you know i i feel like i'm playing somebody very different to you know and i i know i've i've read things before and you know, I'll be halfway through a script and I'll talk to a director and the director will say, well, I really loved what you did in Memento and it'd be just great if we could capture that again. <laughs> and you go, well... I've done that. Sure, yeah. but maybe find someone else to do it. And they're like, oh, but, you know, I'd just love... It'd be great if you could just... Like, no. So if you feel like you're clearly going down the road of repetition, you know, it's best to stay away from it. But uh, but obviously something like this, yes, I can see the connection between, as you say, Peter Peter Wayland or Killian uh, from, from Iron Man 3. But there's enough about it that's different and enough about it that's uh, that feels unique to me 
on a psychological level and, and on a personality level that, that enables me to sort of delve in and, and you know, and jump on board. Mm. Accents are interesting to me. I don't know in terms of a, an actor's arsenal, what do you consider that to be? Is that, a, is that an internal thing or is that something that, that, is it something that comes at the very, very end or is that something that's integral to the whole process of forming a character, deciding how they sound? Oh, that has to be first for me. Is that first? For anything, yeah. Yeah, if I don't get that, I'm I'm lost. Okay, I'm completely lost. Stop me yeah. through uh, Halverson. Well, I mean, sometimes it's not even about an intellectual process. Quite often, it's not an intellectual process. It's really what just feels r- right. What comes out of me when I start reading it, you know. And sometimes I'll be reading something, and I'll and I, I might have some conflict within myself about where where he should sound like he's from. And often it's not just about accent, but it's about pacing and where the tone of the voice sits and delivery how articulate they are and you know but I feel like I feel like once I get a handle on voice Mm -hmm. and voice includes accent tone etc pace etc tempo then I'm off and running prior to getting that I'm just cobbling bits and pieces together (laughs) well he might walk like this and he might dress like that and he might sort of think this in this situation but I'm really stuck on where his voice sits. And if I am stuck on that, then... Because to me, so much is given away. I've, I've got really acute hearing and mm. so much is given away in somebody's vocal uh, expression. Um, I read so much in people. My eyesight's terrible, so I read much <laughs> more I read much more in people in, in how they sound. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 than anything else. So uh, insecurities what they're confident about, where they're masking stuff, where they're lying, whether they're, uh-huh. you know, how intelligent or not they are. And look, I can be wrong. I'm not suggesting I'm yeah. right about it all, but yeah. I, I feel like I make an assessment about somebody much more through their voice than anything else. I'm so much more nervous now than I was <laughs> two <laughs> minutes you ago. Dare say anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it really, it, and, and, and so to, to the point that it then, it's not like I'm analysing people continually, but mm. I, we probably all are, well, any more than anybody else might mm. be analysing people, but, but to the point that that's, as I say, that's where I feel like I need to land or I need to kind of swim around in mainly in order to feel like I'm off and running with the character. And sometimes it's obvious, you know, okay, the character's English, he's from London. Okay, well, what sort of London accent do I want to give him? What sort of... And that might be, you know, you might have anything with a director from do what you want guy, we don't care, to we really need him to be from, you know, Arnold Road Bow. <laughs> you go, okay, let me go to Arnold Road Bow and listen to how people talk from there then. That sounds so weirdly specific. I think that's a, a direction you've actually had. Uh, no, it's not, but I lived in Arnold Road Bow once, so oh, okay. I, I was able to pull that out of, the, out of my hat. <laughs> uh, and do you have a good ear? Can you translate something you hear into, uh, not an impression that, that's reductive, but can you can you say what you hear, essentially? Yeah, I would say I've got a good ear. I mean, I don't like to brag about anything, but 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 if yeah, that's if I was to have a superpower, it would be my <laughs> my hearing and my ability to pitch something. And um, yeah, I can tell you if someone's out of tune and how much they're out of tune. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay, bloody hell. Uh, I'm, don't worry, I know you're not a performing monkey. I'm not going to ask you to do, to do that now. But that is fascinating to me because I, you know, I have observed over the years. I'm projecting confidence. So you think I'm intelligent? I have observed over the years, guy, that Australian actors in particular seem to be really good at accents. They seem to be able to do pretty much anything. I mean, obviously Brits are very good as well, but mm-hmm. Australian uh, actors seem to be able to do American, English, 
Well, that's pretty much it. But there's, there's, there's <laughs> it comes with two continents, of course, Australian as well. Uh, so, is there something in the water down there, or is it just? Well, I think it's interesting because you know, I mean, you could get into the, you could sort of get into all sorts of things, really. But on some level, I think Australia historically, uh, and on, on an evolutionary level, and on a sort of generational level, we we have, I don't know if we still do, suffered a bit of an insecurity complex. Mm-hmm. We're not Europe and we're not America. Mm-hmm. Lots of white Australia was established uh, through convict mm-hmm. resettlement. I think... As opposed to America, where people headed off to the to 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 the to, promised land. to another to the yeah. promised land, we were sent to Australia because we stole a loaf of bread to feed our family, and we were made to feel like criminals. Mm-hmm. I think that feeds down from generation to generation to generation. We we applaud failure in Australia. We don't so much anymore. I think we're, Australia's on the map. We're very proud of ourselves. We, we, we really are a country that now kind of goes, hey, we're here now. We've, you know, we've arrived. But I do think that, uh, and, and it's a gross generalisation, and I'm really not the person to, I'm really not the person to, to, to articulate this very well, yeah. but I do think that that sense of insecurity that we have experienced or we've um, exhibited over the years has something... The, to, to say to what you're talking about. And on some level, we as young Australians watch American television and watch English television and watch European films and television, etc. and we aspire to mm. being like these wonderful you know, countries that, that seem to offer much more than we do. And we, we all travel a lot. Uh, we we come to England and we're told we go to America and we're told that they're the best in the world, best in the world, and we try really hard to be really good. And the reality is, we've all ended up being pretty good at what we do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I need to be careful not to be disparaging about America, but I do think that if you keep telling yourself you're the best at something, you've got to be careful because you might miss something along the way. You can be a little blinded to to what's actually really going on in the rest of the world. So, on some level. I wonder whether our ability to do accents well has got something to do with that. Yeah. Uh, we're also, you know, we're brought up watching much more American and English and European film and television than we are really watching our own stuff. We mm. obviously Neighbours was huge in the UK, but but kind of apart from that, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of Australian stuff that people were watching. And I mean, try to get an American to do an Australian accent. It's... <laughs> You know they're they're not as familiar with it as we are. Yeah. You know we've been watching American films since since they were made. So yeah. it's really tough. It's a tough accent, the Australian. The Australian accent. one, yeah. Oh my god, yeah, it is really tough, and yeah. it's really tough to do it. I mean, look, and I've done lots of accents. Yours is I, very good. Thank you, thank you for an Englishman. <laughs> um, I've I've done lots of accents in my career, and I know that I've done a lot of them badly i've done a lot of them where you, where you really? try really hard and you yeah of course absolutely and i might get close but you yeah. know you talk to someone who's really from chicago or really from boston or really from you Bo. know poland <laughs> yeah. and you kind of realize how far off you actually are but i'll give a still give it a go you know? <laughs> <laughs> i'm still happy to sort of give it a, give it a try what's the one that's really eluded you what's the one that uh, either you haven't been able to do at all or maybe you're in a hotel room late at night. You switch on the TV. There's a Guy Pearce film on, and you go, "Oh my, oh my God, oh, no, no, turn no, it stop off, stop it, turn it off." Yeah. Well, well, Scottish would be a difficult one, mm-hmm. I, I reckon. I've never mm-hmm. done a Scottish accent, and I, it's, I reckon it's a lot harder than people <laughs> give it credit for. 
But some of those East Coast American accents are difficult. That that Boston, Chicago yeah. stuff's tricky. Uh, I've done a Dutch accent twice now. I realise anyone in Holland listening to this would probably spit their tea out and go, what do you mean you've done a Dutch accent twice? You might have attempted it twice. <laughs> the first time really was, I mean, the director was saying, he'd come up to me every day and he'd go, yeah, you sound Scottish today or you sound Swedish today or you sound like you're from South Africa today. So, you know, you, you can get a general shape, but some <laughs> accents are just really complicated. I was revisiting Ali Confidential recently, which is mm. a movie I love. I pretty much watch it every, every year. Oh, it's uh, great, isn't it? It's such a great film. And I, I, I tweeted that I, I would like to see you play Ed Exley again and uh, Russell Crowe play Bud White again. I, I, look, I would love to. And, and, and prior to our, our illustrious director of Curtis Hansen yeah, of um, passing away a couple of years ago, we did have conversations about whether or not we might look at doing some sort of sequel. I mean, obviously, you know, there, is the, there, are, the, there are the books that already exist that Elroy wrote, but there was talk about uh, whether we would do something new, whether we would actually take the story and and oh, uh, wow. you know sort of do 1963, ten years on from our yeah. from our film, um, but you know it never it never eventuated. But that's but, a shame. Look, I've, yeah, and it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because people often ask me about Priscilla as well and uh, mm. doing a sequel to that, and 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 as excited as I am at the prospect of something like that, you also go just think about Greece and the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs> Careful now. Yeah. Do you want to, you know, yeah, true. just put it, leave it alone. Don't go there. So, a lot of love for Greece too these days. That <laughs> it, film has been reevaluated. It was Michelle Pfeiffer, wasn't it? It was indeed Michelle Pfeiffer, yeah. yeah. Okay. I need to go back and look at it again because I, I, I need to find the love. <laughs> I wanted to ask you specifically about one scene in LA Confidential. And it's after, spoiler alert, it's a, it's a movie that was out in 1997, but spoiler alert, after Jack Vincennes is killed, uh, Dudley Smith goes to, uh, goes to Ed Exley. Oh, and drops he says, the name, Rollo you know the name Rollo Tomasi? Yeah. yeah. And your reaction in that moment tells the audience what we need to know but doesn't tell Dudley Smith mm-hmm. what he needs to know, mm-hmm. otherwise the movie would be a lot shorter. Uh, can you talk about that moment? Like, can you remember that I moment? know exactly the moment you mean, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's in a big close-up. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we see Ed Exley, as you point out, realise that that name is something that only Jack Vincennes knows. And so for Dudley Smith to present that name to Ed, he's just given himself up, essentially. Mm-hmm. And... That's the beauty of film to me is being able to be that intimate with a character where you can really just change your expression in the slightest way, in the most subtle way and, and, and completely and utterly telegraph um, a piece of information. And I always say to myself these days, I mean, it took me a few years to realise it, what's the least amount I can do at this point in time that gets the point across? Because okay. that has to be the most interesting way to do it. Yeah. If you're over the top and you're being too big and you're kind of rolling your eyes and you're doing all the things that are quite often written yeah. in scripts. Rollo Tomasi? He, he raises what? an eyebrow and sweats <laughs> profusely from his right brow. You know, then quite often that's too much. But to sort of very subtly, you know, have a shift of, of uh, muscle or whatever it is in, yeah. in your face at a particular moment, yeah, I think can be really telling. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I know the moment you mean and, yeah, it's one I... When I like. I'm sure Curtis, you know, directed me to the hilt to get that exact kind of expression. Uh, I'm thinking, I think you nailed it in one take and that was lunch. <laughs> that was it. Look, working with Curtis Hansen, he really, you know, it, it, was, like, it was like a serious lesson in film, film acting. Fantastic. Uh, Guy Pearce, I'm going to let you go now to watch a double bill, I'm presuming, of the original Innocence, the uh, 1960s British horror film. 
and Greece too. There's a double bill. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, man. Cheers. So, so while Chris is showing Ian out, yes. Helen, what's out this week? Um, well, uh, Black Klansman is probably the most exciting one. I think uh, this is the new film from the new, sorry, joint from Spike Lee. Um, it tells the story of Ron Stallworth, played by John Henry Washington, mm. who is uh, a, a newly recruited black officer uh, on, in a Colorado police force who basically calls up the KKK one day and uh, announces that he'd like to join. Uh, he then co-opts Adam Driver's uh, flip as his sort of face for the operation and the two of them basically spy on the clan. And you're saying this is more in-depth and better than the prologue to Bad Boys 2? <laughs> yes, it is. It's it's a very, very uh, good film. It's a weird tonal film because it shifts between moments of real comedy and moments of just, like, gut-dropping horror, you know, because you're watching these incredible, awful racists do their thing mm. for quite a lot of the film. Um, but, you know, fantastic, fantastic performances. Uh, we should also mention Laura, Laura Harrier, who's in, of course, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, um, is really, really good here. She kind of uh, provides a bit of balance to the film. She's Patrice, who's a young black activist, and uh, she... It basically presents the other side and I think highlights a little bit the the uneasiness of Stallworth's position as a member of an institutionally racist police force but someone who's, you know, trying to undermine an institution of mm. racism in the KKK. Um, but he's also drawn to her and he's drawn to her cause and he's, so he's sort of caught in the middle. And he has also, you know, with the, the first operation that the police send him on is to spy on black activists so it's not a clear-cut case where he is the good guy you know fighting the good fight against racism it's not quite that simplistic it's a it's a quite a nuanced thing having said that this is still a spike lee film and we don't really and i don't mean this disrespectfully we don't really meet look to him for nuance so much as we look to him for for passion mm. and for anger and for um, a polemic, and I think he's the great polemicist of our times, and this is no exception. This is a, a film that really, really hits you, um, particularly when you get to the end and they highlight some of the already obvious parallels between those times and our own time. Um, so, so yeah, this is, I think, one of his best films in a little while. Um, he's obviously incredibly pro prolific. Not everyone is a hit, but his hit rate is still pretty damn high. And we gave this one four stars. Hurrah. Um And what else is out this week? Also at this week is the Children Act, yes, yes. which Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson plays a British judge. Um, she is uh, married to Stanley Tucci, um, which is a position we'd all like to be in, I'm sure. And he wrote a cookbook. Did you know this? I did know this. He's mm. a heck of a cook. But he, uh, he, they're going through a little bit of marital difficulties, uh, and meanwhile she is called upon to uh, try a very difficult case, which is the case of a young Jehovah's Witness who is extremely ill and needs blood transfusion as part of his treatment. Of course, that goes against his religion, but he's underage. Um, so his parents don't want him to have it. He doesn't want to have it, but he is underage, so he doesn't have necessarily the, right, the last word. The court does. Um, and she essentially has to make the decision of the court. So she actually goes and talks to this young man, and they form a strange sort of bond. And uh, it, that kind of brings into relief what... What's I don't know what's up in her life and also what she should do for him or not do. It's uh, it's an in interesting kind of character study more than a moral dilemma I think. Um, but she's fantastic, fantastic performances all round. Uh, I have 
I didn't love the ending personally, and I feel like that might just be the book, uh, which I haven't read, mm. but I don't think. I think it all comes from the book. But really, really good character piece, fantastic performance from Emma Thompson, and actually a very rare realistic feeling depiction of the legal profession which was quite exciting for me as a former lawyer and we gave that one three stars that seems about right to me i fully agree with everything you just said <laughs> you've definitely been for here the last for it yeah. five minutes and um I, I can only add plus one to everything you've just said so fact. four stars now four stars then for the children act. the children act <laughs> yeah why not why not yeah, we're just throwing stars around. Okay. As opposed to Helen, who tends to take stars away from things. And since we gave Black Townsman four, let's, I'm in a plus one kind of mood, let's give it a five. That's not how this works. Chris. That's can how we, it works. Can we do Molly's game while we're at it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention very, very briefly, because we are in a, such a rush, uh, that there is a really great documentary about Elvis uh, out this week. Elvis Presley, not Elvis Costello. Directed by Eugene Jarecki. It's called The King. Yeah, of course it is. Course but it is. It's, it's about so much more than Elvis. It's about fire alarms and America and culture and the 20th century and all those great big concepts but it's also about the king of rock and roll as well so if you're a big Elvis fan as indeed I am then go and check out the king also out this week The Spy Who Dumped Me which stars uh, Mila Kunis and Kate McKinnon who apparently both do sterling work I haven't seen it, but we gave it three stars. This is the best review section of the show, I think, <laughs> yeah. in the history. So I yeah. wasn't here for the first two films. Then I come in and I go, hey, you should watch this film. It's pretty good. And then you go, I haven't seen Spy Dump Me, but we gave it yeah. three stars. We are consummate professionals. Two stars? We gave it three. Three stars. Three okay. stars. So four now. <laughs> I wasn't even listening to what you were saying, so we're all good. We're all good. All right. Uh, we do have to run, sadly. We are being tapped in the window and people are trying to drag us out of here. So that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week. Oh, I should probably be mentioned as well that uh, if you want to come and see us live, mm. yes, uh, September seventh, Friday, September seventh, from seven o'clock at the London Podcast Festival. I think tickets are still on sale. Go to the website www.kingsplace.co.uk to check that out. There is also a new podcast out for you to listen to, which we discuss the fifty greatest Star Wars characters of all time, which is a tie-in podcast with our current cover feature. The new issue of Vampire, of course, is on sale right now. All good and evil news agents, so do pick that up. And there will be an episode of the ranking up at some point uh, next week as well. Finally, now I've got some spare time, I can get around to getting one of those things, one of those bad boys up on the uh, the old pod web. So come and see us, uh, and I don't think we're revealing the guest slash guests just yet, but uh, do come along and see us. That should be a lot of fun as well. And bring gifts. Bring gifts. Bring lots of gifts. We'll bring you <laughs> gifts as well. We should uh, probably get we should probably get sorted them, getting some spot prizes for people. I think people should bring me spot prizes. You think? That's yeah. not how this works. It should be. It should be. Bring us cash and food <laughs> and spot Lord. prizes. And if you're coming over from Northern Ireland, which I know someone is, uh, someone got in touch and said they're flying over from Belfast for the live pod, uh, prepare for disappointment. But also, uh, bring us feeder bread. That's all I ask. That's I don't ask for ask. much. I don't ask for I, I much. I don't even like feeder bread. Club orange, feeder bread. And you know what? Peace and hope in our hearts. Oh, that's lovely. I'll take some of that. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by lots of cool people. Chloe Grace Moretz will be on the podcast. Um, Barry Keoghan and the director Bart Layton will be on the podcast to talk about their film American Animals as well. All right. Until that auspicious occasion, we should also thank Ian Morris for being a phenomenal uh, guest today. And I should probably thank James Dyer. Thanks, Chris. And Helen O'Hara. Cheerio. I mean, I should thank you, no, but I'm not you sure do. if I no, will. Won't, of course. I won't no, thank you. Fine. I mean, that would be weird. Uh, and it is goodbye from me. I've gone that all wrong. I've completely forgotten how to finish this podcast. Right, it's goodbye from James. Bye. It's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. 
I'm off to bump up my HQ bank account once more. This is my idea. This is my thing, okay? If I win a hundred more at eight pounds a pop, mm-hmm. mini holiday. And you guys, wow. you guys. Only a hundred to go, huh? Helen, yep. James, believe me when I say you guys are going to be hosting the podcast while I'm away. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs> 